Welcome to the Fields of Success podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, business owner, and rural Ontarian, Brian Hilt, to hear stories of how successful entrepreneurs navigated the challenges on the path to success, and get insights from business consultants and professional advisors about continuing to grow and operate a successful business. Here's your host, Brian Hilt. Greetings and welcome to the Fields of Success podcast. I'm excited to have a special guest with me today. I'm actually out visiting Ferguson Apiaries out by Hensel, Ontario, and I am meeting with Mr. Ferguson. So thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, kind of how'd you get into the apiary and the, to the bee business? Well, thanks for the opportunity. And yeah, I started... Probably when I was about four, my aunt had a hive of bees in London, and she wanted to show me the bees, and she said, well, you come out and watch me, what I'm doing. And she had all the veils and the equipment, and she was looking in the hive, and she said, just stand still, it won't bother you. Well, I wasn't sure about the whole deal, but I sure wasn't going to move very far. And it kind of got my curiosity peaked, and then we uh, moved from London into uh, Saskatchewan, and I playing around with bumblebees and got stung and thought, well, that's not too bad. I can survive it. So we moved back to Ontario. i taken a course in high school in agriculture on bees. And then a friend of mine, we decided to get some hives, and we started out with five packages from the U.S. And then we bought uh, another 20 hives. So within about a year, we had 25 hives, and we were running. Very cool. And so that would have been roughly what year-ish that you were talking about then when you were had well, the 25 hives? That would have been about 19, uh, I think about 1963. And so you had the 25 hives, and is that what you did then full-time? You have done full-time? You've been no, in the bee business? No, I was, I was still in high, we were still in high school when we had that. And then I didn't like school too well. And my dad wouldn't let me quit unless I got a job, so I got a job with a beekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So, so it worked. It's worked out okay, as I knew that they were wanting to retire, and I was able to gradually buy into the business. Okay. So then, Ferguson Apiary actually you bought into it. Somebody else had a business before. Yes, it was the Haber brothers that were in Zurich, and their father started keeping bees somewhere in the 1880s when he immigrated over to Canada in 1881. Wow. So this has been really in existence now for 130, almost 140 years. Yes. Wow. Very interesting. So you got into bees. You said you took a course in high school. Um, I dare say there's probably not many courses in high school anymore on bees. Well, it was part, we had a agriculture classes for grade 9 and 10, and it was just part of the classes. You'd had bees and sheep and cattle and goats and mm-hmm. and uh, horticulture and things like that. So you, it was just part of the uh, the co- overall course to give you a general view of what was going on. Sure. So you started off then with those hives. And at that point, when you then bought into the business, was that business basically bees for honey? That you're raising all honey? Yes, they just raised bees for honey at that time. And that was the main uh, 
crop. You started in probably the first of April and started working with them steady till about the first of uh, November. Okay. And so we've talked a little bit now before we started actually recording the podcast about the operation currently. Can you walk through to where we're at today? You slowly bought into the business, and now my understanding is you still raise honey and such, but it's not necessarily your primary thing. You're you're into the genetics of bees and selling queen bees. Yes, I had the... uh we were having trouble with keeping the bees alive before the uh, we the chemical of the neonics that came in, and I my wife had thought, well, maybe we should retire. So I sold all the bees off, and I kept about twelve hives. We were running about eight hundred at the time, and I figured I, my retirement lasted about a week. <laughs> I didn't think I liked that, and by that fall we had three hundred hives again that we were running, and. Uh, we we had been raising queens, and I decided I wanted to go into more queen rearing, and uh, we had no nothing but buckfast bees at that point, and we were fairly isolated, so we started raising buckfast bees for sale. Okay, and so then now, these buckfast bees. Maybe could you tell us a little bit about those? You've told me a little bit, but um, you used a good analogy with cattle and what a buckfast bee actually is. Yeah, buckfast bee is actually a combination of several different breeds. It's like a combination of breeding in a little bit of Jersey, a little bit of Holstein, a little bit of Hereford, a little bit of Angus, because each has certain characteristics that you want. It works a little, a whole lot different than with uh, animal husbandry, just because of the genetics. So they're able to combine those and maintain them, and uh, so you get hives that are winter well, use less feed, they uh, are more disease resistant, and don't get quite as big as they, as other hives did. And if I recall right from reading on your website, when I was looking ahead of time, one of the uh, pros or the big positives of buckfast bees, there's some with health of the hives, and then as well they're a very docile, easy to handle, non-aggressive bee? Yeah, that was part of the thing that uh, developed by Brother Adams. In England, they wanted a bee that was easy to handle and that was resistant to diseases. And so these bees are relatively easy to handle. And if we get a hive that wants to sting, we kill the queen off and give her a new one. (laughs) And see, this is one of those things that I in our conversation I found so interesting is all the stereotypes, I think is a good word that people like myself even have about bees because we would, the typical person would think all bees sting, right? And not necessarily. They all have the capability of stinging, but in the Buckfast, the uh, defense mechanism isn't as uh, strong as it is in other varieties. Well, the interesting thing about it is the um, aggression comes from the uh, male or the drone line. Not from the queen. Yes. So to go back to the business a little bit, you mentioned that at one point you had retired and that lasted about a week. And then that seems to be when you got primarily into the breeding. At your largest or when you were your busiest, I guess, the 
um, you know, how many hives did you have and how much honey were you producing and such? We were producing, um, well, we were producing over 100,000 pounds, and we used to have a, up to 1,200 hives at one time. And so if you have that much honey, would that be getting sold to Loblaws type of thing and they would put it in their stores or did you sell it all locally or how did that work? Originally, we sold our honey to the uh, Ontario Cooperative, which was Beekist, and it uh, finally it folded up because of the problems. And then we started selling it to other beekeepers and other small uh, packers. So if I were to go into the grocery store in town, likely it wouldn't be your honey. Your honey would be more sold at a farm gate type of operation. We do have a few places around our area that we do sell honey, and uh, we try and supply the local uh, markets that are interested in it. And then you mentioned you had 1,200 hives, I think you said? Yes. So give me an idea of if you have 1,200 hives... How much space do you need, like acreage? Do you need 100 acres to put them on, or are they spread all over the county? Or We had, um, at that point, we had about 40 different locations. We were down, and we were in Urine and Lampton, Middlesex counties. We had bees. Okay, so you actually then covered quite an area. Yes, we'd go out 30 miles from home. So if you have a hive that's 30 miles away, how often do you have to go check on the hive? We tried to get around about every two weeks to see what was going on and if the hives were doing well. Maybe could you walk me through on the honey side? So you you start in the spring. What does a typical cycle look like as far as when you get take honey, the crop? Like, how walk me through until the fall or the winter when you when you these winterize again? Well, when we start in the spring, just for honey production. We go check the hive over. We want to make sure it's strong, it's healthy, and what kind of shape the queen's in. If it's a poor queen, we want to make sure it's replaced as soon as possible. And then we uh, continue to monitor them to that they don't swarm. We have to keep an eye on that because you don't want them to swarm because that loses part of your hive so that you don't get production. And so that has to be controlled. And then we have to check them for diseases to make sure they may remain healthy. And then somewhere in the, in the end of May, we start putting honey supers on. And uh, then after, from then on till uh, middle of September, we're maintaining the hives. We still check them for queens when we're out there and try and re- replace anything that needs replaced to maintain the numbers. And then we finish up extracting probably the end of September and we have to take and feed the bees to make sure they got enough feed to get them through the winter and then wrap them up again and so that they can be protected over the winter time. So you mentioned that if the queen is in essence not doing her job or is um, that you replace her and so if you take that queen out and you put another queen in it just carries on or will some of the worker bees, like, do they ever rebel against the queen? Yes, the bees um, will rebel, but we have to know how to handle that when we put them in the hive. So we usually kill the old queen off, and then we introduce the queen, new queen in a special cage 
that allows the bees to uh, get oriented to understand, knowing she's there. It's kind of interesting because the bees will know within an hour that the queen's gone because the queen gives off a mandible pheromone that's continually passed between one bee to the other, and that affects and controls the hive. Mm -hmm. And then the hive, uh, so the new hive, new queen, if she, her pheromone's strong, and the bees get it and pass it around. So within a couple of days, they've all been really used to it. They accept her as their, uh, their queen. She doesn't really rule the hive. Her main purpose is to lay eggs to maintain a hive. Is there a class system amongst bees then that there is a per se ruler of the hive, or do they just mutually work together just by instinct? Or No, there's no real ruler in a hive. They um, just maintain their... Uh, maintain each other it's better to look at a beehive as a single unit they're like a cow or a horse or a dog or a cat as as one unit instead of of 40,000 people within it because they act and survive as one unit and so when it drops below a certain level the whole unit the whole hive will die okay I am just, there's so many questions going through my head just about bees in general that I could ask, but I think I'll leave some of those questions for now. Maybe I'll come back to you after we're done recording with some of them. So I'm thinking of the business aspect of running an apiary and of um, honeys and honey, and then we'll talk a little bit about the breeding as well. Is this an industry where, well, I guess maybe I'll frame my question this way. The cost of land, the cost of everything in farming has went up astronomically. And I see a bit of a trend that towards new crops, I was reading the other day about uh, a farmer now trying to grow a kind of mushroom that's a delicacy in Ontario, around the world, but they're trying to grow it in Ontario now. Yeah, because you don't need much acreage and it can be a pretty good revenue producing crop yet. So I'm wondering, as far as bees go, maybe the first question is, is it actually feasible for somebody to have an apiary and have it be a full-time occupation and income for them? Well, that's a really loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, it's possible, but just like probably like big-time farming, it's going to take a lot to get into it. You could work into it, but you've got to be able to understand the bees and the environment around you to find enough places to put hives to produce enough bees or enough honey to make it pay. And part of the problem with beekeepers, they, they tend to think of it as a cottage industry and just as fun, and then they try undercutting each other to get rid of their product, and that really hurts, and then they... Uh, it puts people out of business. Sure, because as soon as they're not dependent upon it for their livelihood, then they're selling their honey cheap, blah, 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 and then the guy who is can't actually make money doing it anymore. Yeah, it really does affect them. Mm -hmm. Like right now, they're uh, we're competing, and the, the larger guys are, are competing against offshore honey, which isn't really honey because we know it's adulterated with... Uh, other types of sugar, and yet once it gets in here and it has the word honey on it, 
they just assume it's honey. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm chuckling a little bit because I'm thinking in my head. I wonder if that's kind of like the syrup industry where you get Aunt Jemima's comes in on, then everybody, you know, oh, this is syrup. It's not actually really syrup. It's just a sugar mixture <laughs> and not real syrup from a tree. So you you now um, still produce honey here, but you also we've talked a little bit about you. You raise breeding stock and you sell queen bees. Yes. So can you give an idea of, I guess, the size of that? You mentioned before we started recording, you're one of maybe two people in North America that are breeding and selling queen? No, there, there are about 22 different uh, bee breeders in Ontario. Okay. But there's only two of us in North America that are actually commercially doing Buckfast. Okay. And that uh, can give us some advantage. And we're we're getting some pretty good results from uh, the reports coming back from the ones that we're shipping out. Mm-hmm. And so you're shipping out entirely then queen bees. You don't ship out any worker bees or anything like that. Well, the queen goes in a package, and she has about five attendants with her. And so then you're selling them to the hobbyist who has his hives and such. And like no. How- No, we actually sell sell them to commercial beekeepers, and we actually sell them to bee breeders. We sell them to a couple of bee breeders in the U.S. They use them. They get the use of them for about a year until they 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 die off or get contaminated the next generation with uh, ones that are more Africanized, and then they get aggressive again. Okay. So give me an idea of you sell, you send a queen and her helpers along. Like what would somebody pay for a bee for, for that unit, I guess? For just a production queen, they're five, $50. Mm-hmm. But for a breeder queen, you can pay up to $500. And we pay up to $600 for some of the breeder queens we buy just for Buckfast. Wow. And that's... That just for that, basically that, for the queen. Yeah, just for the queen. Wow. Per pound, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a a bee, where are you getting yours from? We're getting our breeding stock from uh, Denmark at the moment. We have to go through a lot of uh, inspections and paperwork to get it uh, imported in. And they have maintained a line of bees from the Buckfast Abbey there. When Brother Adams uh, retired, the beekeeper in Denmark took over the operation, and they have several islands that are isolated so that they can maintain their breeding stock in different varieties. I'm going to switch a little bit and like to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that the bee industry has faced and not to make any sort of like agenda or anything like that, just the reality of the fact that there are challenges that the bee industry faces. Um, and we've talked about some of them before we started recording, but could you just touch on some of those challenges? Um, I'm going to butcher the name, but the different neotoxins type of things and how that actually affects the bee industry. The neonics started coming out in the late nineties and we, uh, had somebody speak at our convention telling us how good of chemical this was because it just stayed with the plant that they were putting it on the seeds and that was all, and it wouldn't hurt the bees. 
a lot of us were somewhat skeptical, but the uh, companies that were making it, they tried to assure us it would be okay. But by uh, we were having trouble as things went on in the early 2000s with the bees and keeping numbers up. And probably a lot of people heard about CCD in the U.S. They were trying to figure out what it was, and they just called it uh, colony collapse disorder because they couldn't figure it out. And as it went on, they started to realize it was these chemicals. And in 2011, it really hit us here in Ontario. And uh, bees were dying off really bad because somebody had changed, something had changed. And uh, we had been fighting with it ever since. It was, and that the, the bees just couldn't survive. It shortens their life. It shortens their ability to work properly. And so it's a lot more work to maintain any kind of hives. And from our conversations that we had here before we started recording, you gave a really good example. Um, and I'm not going to ask you to go into that, but it seems almost to me that the effect on a bee, it gives them some sort of dementia almost, that they they have some memory loss, they don't quite know how to function fully anymore. Yeah, that that is right. The bees... Um do get something like dementia or Alzheimer's. It takes them longer to do their jobs, and they don't live as long as they normally do, mm-hmm. which is exactly what they wanted the chemical to do, and they were just aiming at it for other insects. But bees were kind of a, a fatality along the way. Yeah. So I'm wondering, as we're discussing this and the effect that it has on bees, and then at the same token... I know that bees are a necessity for pollinating uh, different crops. And even the crops are trying to keep the other bugs off of. So if we would take this to an extreme and say that through the use of different chemicals or whatever the case may be, that there are no more bees, then those crops don't grow. A lot of the crop, there's about a third of the crops that we depend on for food would have a problem existing because they wouldn't uh, produce fruit then and we would not have it. And even if you stop and think about the seeds we plant for vegetables, a lot of those take some sort of pollination to get pollinated so they can produce the seeds so we can actually plant them in our garden. Mm -hmm. Is there any... Sometimes it seems that our world spins into a way where they come up with something and then you come up with the treatment for a symptom that that thing's created and then that creates a something and so you come up with a way to treat that instead of just getting back to the basics before all that started. And so I guess I'm in my head I'm wondering is there any sort of genetics or things in the works with the bee industry to make them tolerant of these neotoxins or somehow to make them resistant to the effects of that? Bees have a smaller genetic base than most insects, so they don't become resistant to chemicals as quickly as the bugs they're trying to kill. So the insects they're trying to kill build up resistance quicker than a honeybee will. Okay. So if those build up resistance, then in essence they make chemicals stronger to kill those, but the bees can't build up the resistance, so they're the casualty in, in the whole yes. thing. Yes. Just an example of it. 
the uh, honeybee has a lot less alleles than a fruit fly. So you can kill a honeybee off, but if you use the same chemicals on the fruit fly, they develop a resistance really quickly within a few days. Hmm. <laughs> Man, no wonder <laughs> those things are so tough to kill. <laughs> so let's talk about the honey, the bee industry as a whole. There's different, you're, there's bee breeding, there's bees for honey. Um, we've talked a little bit that there's a lot of, um, you know, people who, or a fair number at least who do it as a hobby. Um, can you give an idea of how many different people involved in the bee industry there are like in Ontario? How big of a, how big of an industry is it? I think they have, um, at this point, somewhere around 2,300 that belong to the Ontario beekeepers. I can't remember that exactly. I, but I know there are only probably, um, I think there's about 250 beekeepers in Ontario that have 50 hives or more. And there's probably only, uh, I couldn't give the exact number, around 50 that have more than a thousand. Mm -hmm. And so would they be able, those producers be able to produce honey enough to fill the demand for honey here? Or does it, is there not enough honey produced that there has to be imported stuff? <laughs> Fake honey or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Canada overproduces and we're a net exporter. The problem is the uh, packers and that see the cheap honey they can buy offshore. So they go and buy stuff offshore to try and force the price down with our Canadian honey. Interesting. I didn't realize that. I wouldn't have guessed that we as a country would produce more honey than we consume. The U.S. is traditionally one of our plays our best markets for it mm -hmm. but it's even they've even got more fake honey down there which uh, has pushed the price down mm -hmm. yeah and then once the price gets started pushed down it makes it harder to compete for the people who do it for an actual income yeah. and it's just kind of that spiral <clears throat> cycle again yeah so when you think about ferguson apiaries um, you're doing some honey production, you have your breeding stock. What's your vision for the future of the business? Is there a next generation that's going to continue on? At this point, we haven't got anybody in the, in, in the family that wants to take it on. And it depends what, you know, when I can't do it anymore, whether there's somebody else that's interested. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as long as basically... Right now, continue on, continue on, because you retired once and that didn't work. <laughs> so. Well, you got to have something to do. I get it's enjoyable. You get to meet a lot of people, yep. people from different areas. I got to meet you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like I told you when I came here, I was really excited to come here today because you. Well, I came upon your website. I don't even know how I did. I think I was looking on like a in the one of the publications that lists a bunch of contacts for the farming industry has different companies and so then I saw yours in there and I went on your website and thought to myself now who would have thought that there's a business actually involved in genetics for bees in rural Ontario just one of those things that everybody you know sees you see dairies you see chicken farms you see beef cattle and yet Nobody thinks of like the bee industry or that type of thing, and yet it's a valid industry. 
So I, I was really excited and uh, I went and of course I see there's a news article on the wall. I think I actually saw that news article because then of course you go on Google and you search your name and, and such. And So you've been involved in, in the bee industry now for, if I go from the 1960s or so till basically 2020 almost, right? you've been in the bee industry almost 60 years already. So you've well, probably seen a lot of changes in the industry even in that time, I would think. Yes, there have been a lot of changes. There's a few people that are getting close to my age that get bees, and mm -hmm. we laugh. When we started out, it was keeping bugs in a box. That was about it. We knew we just had to keep the hive strong, keep it together, and make sure it didn't get disease. That was it. Now we know all the science, like I'd mentioned earlier about mandible pheromones. There's pheromones given off by the larvae so that the bees know what to do with them and what to feed them. We understand their flight patterns and why they fly and the things that affect them that way. And just like I'd mentioned to you, they can tell colors and they can count to two and yeah. they know left and right. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I think probably I will write a blog post for my website after containing some of the things too We um, before we started recording. And I'll try to find a link to that study that you mentioned where they had the uh, the food for the bees and then they moved it and how the bees can track back to the hive and such. And then, uh, you know, when the chemical gets introduced, how that basically makes them kind of spin circles because they lose their ability to track. And I'll see if I can find that to put a link in the show notes and such as well. So your operation today, you have the breeding stock you sell. Like how many queens would you say you sell on a yearly basis? Well, we've kind of been held back because some of the problems we had, but we were aiming at 2,000 this year and didn't quite make it. We'd like to get up somewhere between three and 5,000. Mm -hmm. If we could get that way, then we'd probably, we'd have, we would have to hire more help, which would be good for the economy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be um, very interesting. Well, there's a lot more questions I could ask. Maybe, uh, Though as we wind down here, I saw when I drove up, you have you have a storefront here yet? Yes. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your storefront and what they can come out and find here and when you're open and that type of thing? Yes, we're open from uh, 9 to 5, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And a lot of the products we have here are things that we do ourselves. The girls keep a better idea on that than I do, but I know they make hand creams and some honey for uh, throaties, and we've got uh, creamed honey and liquid honey, and we try and divide it out into different flavors that come seasonally. Mm -hmm. And I know they make boot dressing, and we make a lot of natural beeswax candles. Okay. Well, so I, I encourage the listeners, if you're in the area, come out sometime when they're open and stop by. Um, as well, I guess the back of my head, I'm thinking I've sat on a school board for a small private school before. Um, so I guess I'll throw the question out. Do you ever do any sort of tours or things like that during certain times of the year? <laughs> yeah, we do. Yes, we do some, some time to time. Okay. And we have went out to schools. It gets pretty busy from about the 1st of June till uh, mid-September for queens so it kind of limits what we can get out and do mm -hmm. okay perhaps my final question and this just came to well maybe i have two more questions but 
this just came to mind. Once in a while, I'll see people will post things on different social media, etc. Of course, that they have a swarm of bees, and are are those honeybees? And they often are looking for a beekeeper then to come and get the bees, or educate me a little bit on that. Typically, what that is. We used to collect swarms, but we don't anymore because we don't want to contaminate our stock with. Uh, it's like having a mongrel dog come and cross with your nice purebred poodle. Mm -hmm. We don't want that. But we, um, maybe a beekeeper out of our area, we'd give them the uh, location and let them get them. And sometimes what they look at, oh, I've got a hive of bees. They're up in the tree and they're in this gray, gray nest. Well, those are yellow jackets and they're different. Yellow jackets are paper wasps. And... Uh, they're actually quite beneficial. If they aren't bothering you, leave them alone because they eat a lot of other harmful insects. Take the, they'll kill a lot in the summertime. And if you have the patience to sit there and watch them, you'll see them coming in with uh, bug parts in their mouth to feed the larva. I think I should find one and I should put a time-lapse camera on to... Uh, of course, somebody's probably done that. I could probably find it on YouTube or something too. But uh, all right. Well, one thing I typically ask is about the business side of things. Um, so if somebody wants to start in bees being, and I'm thinking mainly in the, they would have to probably start on the honey side. I don't, getting started on the genetics and the breeding stock, I think would be too hard for a lot of people. But uh, like, what would it, what would somebody be looking at as a cost to buy a few, buy some hives and get up and going and well, the first thing to do is warn you not to buy any used equipment. Mm -hmm. Be careful where you get your equipment because AFB is the biggest problem we have. And it takes, um, you can take and boil this organism for 20 minutes and it'll still be alive 20 years later. There are only two ways of getting rid of it, and that's by fire or by irradiation. And uh, so if you do anything, it's more... It's better to buy or start with new equipment that you can control and know what it is. Unless you know the history, a really good history of the equipment and you, and you want to use it. But as a typical thing, it'll probably cost you uh, close to $1,000 to start up because you time you buy your hive, buy your bees, and a little bit of peripheral equipment to go along with it. Mm -hmm. And once you start buying an extractor and a few other things, the costs start going up, so it's easier to have two hives or three hives at that point. Sure. And, then, and then you're getting trouble. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you decide, oh, this looks like fun. I should have a few more. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and now if, if I just add two more hives, then I can afford to buy this extractor or this or that, right? And it goes from there. Um, well, in closing, any words of advice that you have for those, anybody thinking of getting into the um, be business or just into business as a whole as, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting their own business? Well, I, looking back on life, it'd be better for everybody to start out by taking an economics course and figuring out what things cost. Because I look at that in the bee industry, and I know when I was years ago, we had people we worked with in the industry, and they figured if I could get a uh, dollar for my honey, oh, they could do it for 95 cents. The problem was the guy that was looking at them at doing it for 95 cents, 
their neighbors would look at him and say, well, if he can make money at 95, I can make a little bit more and sell more for 90. And it kept going down. Nobody stopped to actually look at the costs. Mm-hmm. They need to look at all their costs, their gas, their time, the cost of containers, the cost of the equipment to fill it, the heat that goes into it. So if somebody wants to get into business, whether it's bees or any business, kind of your words of advice, know your numbers. That's right. <laughs> know your numbers, your costs of production, you know, what your total costs are input in so that you're actually making money at what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Well, I'll close at that for you listeners. If you want to, there's a website. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but if you Google Ferguson Apiaries, it'll come up um, and you can find the website. And uh, there's an email address there. That's how I reached out. So you can certainly reach out or stop by the store sometime when you're open. I think you said Thursday, Friday, Saturday, nine to five. And uh, there's also a phone number and such on the website. I will try to link to some of the resources, some of the things we've talked about um, in the show notes. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions or anything, feel free to reach out and uh, I'll pass on any questions or uh, certainly you can stop in and ask them here. So I want to thank you for coming on and uh, for the conversation. It's been really interesting. And uh, I certainly hope that uh, going forwards and stuff that there. You know, it seems that there's some challenges in the bee industry, and I hope that all the different branches of agriculture can work together. And because everybody benefits really when you work together, and it, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it just it's somewhat sometimes disturbing to see, to hear how you know things that are say they're an advancement in one industry are are hurting another so badly. So, anyways, I thanks for sharing, and uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting with you again sometime. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fields of Success podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please take a moment to share it with your friends and provide a review. As well, if you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, please email Brian at podcast at seedtimeandharvestwc.ca. That's podcast at seedtimeandharvestwc.ca. If you would like further information about Brian's firm, Seed Time and Harvest Wealth Council of Manulife Securities Incorporated, please check out the website at www.seedtimeandharvestwc.ca. There you can find more information, schedule a meeting, and check out the notes from this podcast episode. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.